are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. In our focus verses today, we're going to look at a couple of specific events. One of the events we're going to look at that's in, uh, in the Luke 7th chapter is the healing of the servant of the centurion. The other one is the healing of what our scripture characterizes as the only son of a widow. And then the other thing we're going to cover just briefly as we end, we'll be talking about the word sovereign and how it fits into our discussion today. Healings are were not only amazing, and as we've gone through the early chapters in Luke, we've seen that, and and they even used that same word, amazing. But healings were not only amazing to those who witnessed those healings, but the other thing it did is in those early days, it emphasized the authority that Jesus had because what he could do is he could command things into being literally because his Father God had given him the authority to do that. I don't know about you, but when I read Scripture, my natural bent is when I read scripture, I start looking for the applications of scripture to my life and to your life. That's just kind of how I read them. I'm looking for those kinds of applications. And healing, which is largely what we're going to talk about today, healing is one of those topics that Christians and scholars have argued about clear up until the time right now and about healing and whether it takes place. Some take the path about healing that they call it, what I, what I term it anyway, and you hear it called the name it and claim it group. That group takes the Bible, they take some certain verses and interpret, and there is scripture that actually says it. It says, ask anything in my name. I think the piece that I added to it is this, ask anything in my name, and some of the name and claim it crowd believe that if you do that, that he will do exactly what I ask him and he will do it exactly as I ask him to do it. Now, many ministries have been built largely on healing ministries. And some of you that have been around a while, you've seen that, you know some of the names and people that have done that. And then there's other ministries and denominations that swing completely to the opposite end, and they take the position that healing has ended. They'll use scriptures such as in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, it says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will pass away. Now, you read that, and if you read it in context, I can't get to the place that they use, which really says, because what they make the argument is one of two things. When that which is perfect has come is either that was which Jesus has come and lived his life on earth, and or, some will say, it was the completion of the New Testament when it was canonized through Scripture. And so those things made the perfect and the imperfect, which were things like healing and the gifts of manifestation, then those ended. Well, it opens up a lot of questions for us when we look at those applications. But, you know, I, I would imagine that a good share of you that, have, that sit here today have either prayed for healing for yourselves or you've prayed for healings for other people that you're close to or someone else knew. And you prayed very earnestly about those. 
there was a lady who was uh, was uh, uh, had a big name in the healing ministry several day, decades ago, and her name was Catherine Kuhlman. She made a statement that I remember reading, and I thought it was a good one because what she said was, "Is you know what I'm going to do is when I meet God, the first question I'm going to ask Him is why did you heal some people, but some people you didn't heal." So here's a lady who had the gift of healing as was was known at that time and she made the statement that not everyone was healed why did why were some healed and some were not healed and that was a question she was going to ask god obviously she had spent a lot of time wondering the very same things and for many of us we wonder the same things we've prayed for people and and thought okay god you know i, I just know this is what's going to happen after all, you know, we live in these frail vessels we call bodies. And they are frail when you think about them. And we wonder, why do people suffer certain illnesses? You know, why, why would they have that and me not have that? Or why do I seem to be more healthy or less healthy than they are? And we wonder, well, who's capable of healing? Do, you know, the scripture says, you know, you go to the elders, or it says this, or it says that. And, well, who's capable of healing? And exactly... How does that get done? I want you to watch just a brief uh, video that Eric put up for us this week. The initiative of Jesus' healings was to point to the message as we read in Luke chapter 5. But people today tend, as then, to only be concerned with the healing process. And if that doesn't happen, then the message is of no consequence. And, and though people feel, tend to feel that way, they still want to be healed, but they don't want to hear a message. I've lost both parents and my only sibling to cancer. And some six years ago, when I was diagnosed with cancer myself, I had no idea if I would suffer the same consequences as my family had. When my family, each one, was diagnosed, I prayed for their healing but there was none. But when I was diagnosed and I prayed for my own healing, God provided. I was healed. And I say, why not? Why me and not my family? Why did this happen? Am I more important? Am I more deserving? Uh, the answer is no. Not at all. But the answer is still in the message of Jesus Christ. God's not done with me yet as a teacher of his word and he's not ready for my completeness on this earth to be over. And I have no other reason to explain why I'm healed and, and my family wasn't. But you know, I have no other recourse but to fervently study, to, to immerse myself in God's word and teach the message of the cross. This is not out of arrogance. It's not out of thinking that I'm special or particularly gifted, but the healing is the will of God. It's a gift to me. And what I do with this gift is my testimony. It is for me to honor God with this gift he has given me. So far, so as long as I live on this earth and have good health, I'm committed to living out his will by being a teacher of the gospel of Christ.
It's all about the message. As we hear Eric say uh, that the whole idea of healing is very complicated, like many things in life are. Healing is very complicated because in our humanness, we try to kind of work through that and figure it out. And, you know, because really, if we kind of know algebra and, and A plus B equals C or whatever you guys, George, are learning at college, you know, the, the issue for us is we think, well, there ought to be this formula and we should be able to follow this formula. But it's more complicated than that. In our, in our study this morning, the faith of the centurion, we'll notice that in these early verses we're going to read in a minute, we'll notice two different things. There were the Jewish leaders that came to inquire of Jesus about the healing. And those Jewish leaders were one segment. And then we're going to hear a, another view that came from the centurion himself. From the Jewish leaders, what they're going to say is they're going to say he had done good things. He deserves, Jesus, for you to grant that healing for him. He requested it for his servant. He's done these good things. He deserves it. From the centurion's own mouth, we'll read this in a moment, that I don't deserve it. We'll hear him say, I don't deserve it. And he's going to say, say the word we'll read that in a moment but jesus had come a short distance from delivering this sermon on the plain that we've been talking about and what he did he brought with him this new team of apostles and we often term them disciples the word apostle means sent one sent one a person that is sent that's who they are in today's world sometimes People see apostles as church planters, somebody that, that brings a church out of the ground. But these guys, these interns, if you will, that Jesus was taking along with him, these were the apostles. And what they were, they were witnessing this Jesus, this God on earth. They were able to see that firsthand. They were able to see these miracles. And some of these people were people they knew. They weren't just like somebody that just showed up at a tent meeting. These were some of the people that they knew, and they knew that they had fought these diseases and problems all their life. But they also got to, wit to witness his wisdom firsthand. They heard what came out of his mouth and how it just seemed to make sense to them as they delivered it. So if you're at seven, chapter 7 in Luke, verse 1, we start there and it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this, and it's talking about that he had finished preaching at this other location. He'd finished saying all this to the people who were listening. Then he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion, and a centurion is a, was a military officer of the Romans. He had responsibility for a hundred people, a la century, if you will. A centurion, he had a hundred people under him. Plus, there were some servants attached to him as a result. So there the centurion's servant, whom the master valued highly, was sick, and he was about to die. Then centurion heard of Jesus, and he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. Now, a lot of times I read a certain place, and I ask myself questions. I did it in this situation, because he made the statement, he said, that he asked him to come and to heal his servant. But he sent people... To actually get Jesus to come. So did the did this, did this, did this centurion, did he think himself unworthy 
to go there himself? After all, he was a Gentile. And Jews of the day, I mean, it, believe me, they would have not even thought about entering the home of a Gentile. A Jew would have not done that. And perhaps a centurion even thought, well, you know, if I have him come to my house, you know, I put him at great risk physically because, you know, he'll be, he'll be banned. He won't be accepted by the Jews because of the situation. Maybe he'll be at great risk if I bring him here. Or maybe he thought, well, these Jews, if I see the, send these influential Jews and he's Jewish, maybe they'll have more sway. Maybe they'll convince him to come and heal my servant. Perhaps the centurion felt that Jesus, in fact, had the authority that he could just speak healing. So we go on to verse 4 to look for some of the answers to those questions. So when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly. You're talking about the Jewish leaders. They pleaded earnestly and they said this, This man deserves, deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogues. It's believed historically that in fact what this man did, this centurion, that he had not only put money resources toward it, but he'd also used some of his men and servants in helping to build this synagogue, this construction project. So after they asked the question, so Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house, Scripture says, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve you come under my roof. So he's starting to answer some of the questions that I was thinking of earlier that we just discussed. Because I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself of a man under authority, with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, this demonstrates the centurion knew that Jesus possessed power to heal his servant. And I thought it was interesting because when he's thinking about healing, he's, he's, he's expressing he said, irrespective of the distance, and I think we do that sometimes, you know, we think, okay, well, you know, I, I need to be there, I need to lay hands and do things that Scripture talks about. But he's, he's actually expressing a situation that says that I understand that irrespective of distance, you don't even have to come here for my servant to be healed. It showed us, too, that just like the centurion said, that Jesus could heal with his word. Now, we, we watched him heal a lot of other ways. We watched him bend down and get stuff and rub it on people's eyes and spit. and I mean, he used all kinds of ways to heal people. But the reality is he could also just say it, and he had the authority for it to be done. He could also do it by just someone coming up and touching the hem of his garment. You'll remember that, where the lady came up, and he was in a crowd, and he felt the power go out of him. So it could be done literally by just somebody touching him. And we know that even if we think back about the story of Lazarus, you know, four days after the guy passes, Jesus shows up and he says, what? Lazarus, come forth. He brings him out of the tomb. And then we're going to read about another man in a little bit that, that, he, that he brought back to life as well. 
So, so we understand that Jesus had the, the real and true authority that was given to him by his Father God. Step on down to verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at them. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel than the man who, has sent and who, who had been sent returned to the house. I'll get this right. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. So again, he didn't go. He didn't finish the mission to go there physically and do steps one, two, and three. But literally, just the faith that the centurion had in him, Jesus speaking the word, and when they returned, he was there. So that humble request was fulfilled. And again, it had demonstrated the authority that faith had in this circumstance. In verse 11, you see the header that Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. This is about 25 miles or so from where this last event we just talked about had taken place. And when he was there and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. I mean, you know, if you think about it, I mean, he was a, he was a star. He was a rock star at the time, all the people that were following him in that circumstance. So this 25 miles, you see this big procession of people that are going to this other place. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was there with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer, which is a, a burial platform. And it's really, we're going to talk about bearers in a minute. We, we call people at funerals pallbearers. And these were, they were, so this guy's being carried by these pallbearers. And he's on a platform. And that body is on the platform. They were carrying him. And the bearer stood still. Jesus grabbed a hold of it, basically making a statement. And when he grabbed a hold of it to stop, they stopped. The bear stopped, and he says, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Again, just, just describing this authority that Jesus had. Now, I, I find humor sometimes in some of these things, and I would say to you that probably there was very little that Jesus did that would have been truly you know, spontaneous that he didn't see coming. But I, I got to admit to you, this is like a drive-by healing, okay? He's walking by, and he sees this person, and he says, I can do something about this. And he puts his hand on the platform, and he restores this man's life. It says in, on the, in the next verse, they were filled with awe, and they praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. Understand, they said a great prophet. See, this is not the Messiah to them yet. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. See, I, I entitled this today, The Long Game. Now, nothing I've said would tend to make you think that the title made any sense. But the reality for me as I, as I read this is that Jesus played the long game. And sometimes I think we get caught up in the short game. Jesus played the long game. And then you ask the question, 
well, how long a game was it? And the answer is very simply, pretty long. It's called eternity. That was a game he played. He played a game of eternity. Sometimes we pay, play the game for today, next week, next month, but he played the long game. See, we love to see physical and verifiable healings happen. I mean, we're no different than the people that we talked about in the scripture. I mean, we're filled with awe when that happens, and it does happen. But we're amazed, just as these people were, when, there, when those healings took place. Because we love to see that. What a great encouragement it is, and what a great encouragement to, to the families when that occurs, and to the body. Deuteronomy, I thought, has a great scripture. Because, again, what we're talking about is sometimes when we talk about these things of healing and the things we've see, talked about today, sometimes in our, in our just our natural self, they don't seem to make a lot of sense. Because, again, we're looking for a formula. We're looking for the A plus B thing to happen. In Deuteronomy, it says this in, in chapter 29. This is in your U version copy as well. It says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. For those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever. But there are secret things. It's like Catherine Kuhlman said, you know, I want to ask God. Now, chances are when she gets there, that'll be the last thing on her mind. But the reality is, you know, that was something that she that she's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I need to understand this revelation about what happened and why did it seem to work in certain situations? And then we had these other people that just, I mean, they deserve it. I mean, they were great family people, and they were this and they were that. So let's talk a moment about sovereign for a moment. I was thinking as I was doing that back some time ago, we watched a, a few uh, parts of the series about the Queen of England. And, you know, they, and I remembered that they called her sovereign. And she was also the head of the Church of England. Well, this is a different sovereign. It's a sovereign on a higher level. The sovereign literally just means this. It means it's a person or an entity that is the ultimate source of power and authority. Let me read it to you again. It's a person or an entity that is the ultimate source of power and authority. Now, see, God, I hope you'll agree with me, God is sovereign. He's our ultimate He's our ultimate source of power and authority. Now, you hear people say, you know, or I've heard this said in my life at least, I will have the last say in this matter. Parents sometimes have used that line. Mine perhaps used that on me. But I will have the last say. But the reality is the sovereign, the sovereign God, he has the first say and he has the last say. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to substitute our say somewhere in the middle and assume that that's going to carry a lot of weight. Well, it does as a believer, but there's certain things, these secret things that belong to God. So let me offer some clarity about what I personally believe about healing. And then what I did is I don't, I don't ever like to get up here and make some Tom statement, but I went to the elders and I said, okay, this is a statement I'm thinking about reading to the church and I want to know if I line up with the things you believe about healing. And so this, if you will, this is a, a statement from the elders, but it's made by me, written by me initially. It's this. 
God is sovereign and possesses ultimate power. Hopefully we can check mark that. God is sovereign and possesses ultimate power. God does heal today. I don't know what you believe, but I know what I believe, and I believe that God literally does heal today. It didn't die at the end of the New Testament writing. It didn't die when Jesus came out of the tomb. But God does heal still today. Not everyone who asks earnestly and prayerfully is physically healed. I also believe that. I've seen that in my life because from this, part of this is from the scripture, the study, the teaching that I've set under through the years. But part of this statement is because experientially, when you've lived a while on this earth and you've seen things happen, you've seen people ill, you've prayed for people, you saw things where you really felt healing took place and you saw times that the healing didn't take place like you thought it might or you hoped it might or you assumed it might. But I do believe that that not everyone who asks earnestly and prayerfully is physically healed. And then I say it shouldn't keep us from praying for healing for those who are in need of healing. We should pray for it. And, and we should expect it. Scripture says we should pray for it. We should be expectant about healing. But we should be more heavenly minded than earthly minded. And that's a big thing, I think. It's a, it's a, a key part of this statement. But we should be more heavenly minded than we are earthly minded. Because healing occurs in different ways. And our specific prayer perhaps might be that a, per, a person's soul, a person's soul, it is more profoundly valuable than their earthly body. Let me say it again. A person's soul is more profoundly valuable than their earthly body. And what we hope is we hope for that person to be a believer, right? And so Jesus, one of the things that I, and I, I don't know if it's Eric or who it was, I'll attribute to you because I thought it was a, as he went through that teaching, but it, Jesus made the statement, he had been healing, okay? Now, I was thinking about that and I thought, okay, well, he's been healing these people. And you know, really, there were people that they just kept coming. Because if you just think about, we were talking, Dan and I were talking in a hall today, and we were talking about that our, our list of prayer needs isn't getting shorter, it's getting longer. It's getting longer. When you go through and you just think about all the people that they're, either their life's in chaos, their health's in a situation, whatever it is, but we, kept, we just see that happen. And we think about, well, what, you know, I, I have to continue to pray for them, but I have to be thinking about, they're a believer, I want them to go with me. Their soul is profoundly more important than their body. And Jesus, when he was in this teaching, he made the statement as he was doing the healing and all that, then he, he finally had to say, okay, this is good, but I came to teach. I came, so, and, and I thought, okay, well, that's weird. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of good, right? Healing, you're doing a lot of good. See, people's lives were changed. But his interest was actually in what I would call the legacy. Because what he was doing is he was taking these, 
these 12 apostles who were taking these disciples, the people that were going to be the people that started these new churches that we read about in Acts. And what he was going to do is he was going to breathe into them the things they needed to know after he left. And he knew that he was there for a short time. The healings were important, but they weren't as important as that legacy of eternal life and life change that he planned to leave with them. So see, the long game, the long game is the game of eternity. Now, you can go to Uversion, you can read this statement, I'll get you a copy of it, whatever, but it's on Uversion if you have that app that talks about the position we take. But I think it's loaded with, with content about healing and trying to keep healing in a proper perspective. I want to close with this. If you haven't accepted Christ, if you haven't taken him as your personal Savior, and, I'm, and it's a difference because I'm not saying, do you know who he is? I'm asking you, do you know him? And if you don't personally know him, if you don't have a relationship, if you haven't surrendered, who wants to surrender, right? That's a cowardice thing, but no, it isn't in a Christian life. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, that's where it starts. If you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. You can find me, you can find Dan, Dennis, Eric, Justin, probably you can find the person sitting very near you that can help lead you there too. But if you haven't done that, I can tell you the long game says it's critically important to eternity. And the other thing is that if you haven't followed the Lord in believer's baptism, again, consider doing that. Because that, that's an ordinance. That's what, you know, I, I try to think about things and, well, what, you know, we had these WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Well, ask yourself that about baptism. What did he do? Right? He went and found John and he said, John, baptize me. It went out to the river. He was baptized. So if you haven't made that step, think about making that step in your life. Because what we want is we want you to be in the long game, and we want you to be in the long game with the other believers in your church family, in the body of Christ. We want you to be there. Let me pray for us as the praise team comes to close us. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us the opportunity to come today. Lord, I, I think about if there's anybody here that has not accepted Christ. And Father, we have a lot of people that we sit in this building together, but yet have we really surrendered our life in service of Jesus? Have we really done that? And Father, I pray if there's anybody here that hadn't made that decision, that they'll make that decision. I pray too, Father, for, for those perhaps that are considering baptism, that, that they don't worry about what somebody says or what about my age or I might like foolish, whatever the things are. Lord, just get those out of our mind because the long game makes all that short stuff just not mean anything. And I pray too, Father, that as we consider this long game, that, that we don't cease praying for people, that we continue to pray for them. We even heighten the people we pray for. Because, God, I, I do believe that you heal today, but also know that you're sovereign. You're sovereign. That means you have the first say and you have the last say. And we'll trust you with that thing. We'll trust you with that, Lord. Because we do want to operate within your will. And many, many times your purpose is, 
is not seen by us initially, but later on we have that aha moment to understand. And we'll have that one day. And again, Father, I thank you for the day you've given us. I thank you for these believers that are gathered here together. And I pray this will be a great week ahead of us in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.